This is Primal Screen, a weekly radio show airing Monday evenings on Triple R. Primal Screen is about movies, from the ones on the big screen to the ones you stream. Hope you enjoy the podcast version and feel free to get in touch via the Primal Screen Facebook page or the Triple R website. Hello and welcome to Primal Screen, uh, a show and podcast all about screen culture from movies on the big screen to whatever you're streaming. I'm your host, Flick Ford, and joining me in the studio tonight is Will Cox. Hey, Will. Hey, that was very weird. Will Cox is like a, <laughs> like a wrestling intro. Well, I don't know if you know this, but uh, part-time. <laughs> part-time wrestling introduced. Part-time wrestling, yeah. <laughs> no, I didn't know secret, that. That's secret life. Uh, we've also got Dr. Stuart Richards. Hey, Stewie. Hey, thanks for having me. Oh, it's our pleasure. On tonight's show, we are going to be speaking with Francisca Stunkel, who is the director and writer of The Last Execution, which is screening as part of the German Film Festival. And we'll catch up later with what Stewie and Will have been watching this week and we'll take a closer look at the true crime HBO miniseries The Staircase, which features Colin Firth, uh, Tony Collette and Juliette Binoche. Uh, plus, we'll also discuss Celine, Celine Shyama's uh, Petite Mama, which is currently screening at select cinemas. So the German Film Festival kicks off this Wednesday and one of the films being spotlighted is Francisca Stunkel's gripping historical drama, The Last Execution. The film is set in East Berlin in 1981 and is inspired by the life and death of Werner Tesca the last prisoner executed in the former GDR. It stars Lars Eidinger as scientist Franz Walter, who is recruited by the GDR's Foreign Intelligence Service and sent on foreign assignments to West Germany. However, Franz is uh, soon caught in a web of blackmail, coercion, surveillance and wiretapping that he cannot escape. Last year, the, um, the last execution won the Young German Cinema Award for Best Screenplay at the Munich Film Festival. It was also nominated in the New Director's Competition at the Chicago Film Fest- International Film Festival. And the film is now having its Australian premiere at the German Film Festival. It is my absolute pleasure to welcome the writer and the director of The Last Execution, Franziska Stunkel. Welcome to Primal Screen. Thanks a lot for having me. Oh, it's so nice to have you on. And Francesca, as I mentioned um, before, your film is based on the uh, real-life case of Werner Tesca. When did you first hear about um, this story and, and kind of what prompted you to bring it to the screen? It's 12 years ago now. I read in a press article just uh, one sentence and there um, it was said that... Um, there was death penalty in the GDR and 166 people were executed during the time of the GDR. And um, I was really shocked about this fact because I hadn't heard before about it. Mm-hmm. And But I realized later on that a lot of people in Germany and abroad haven't heard about this. And uh, that's why I started my research. And mm-hmm. um, I found a photo at the beginning of my research from uh, Professor Werner Teske, as you mentioned before, it was the last person who was executed in the GDR in 1981. And um, this photo, it it made a huge um, impression on me Mm. because it seems that this person was a very sensitive human being. 
and um, I asked myself what happened to this person and um, that um, yeah that became a really passion and um, a very intense process to go deeper and deeper into his lifetime story. Yeah I imagine and um, you know your film The Last Execution it's it's um it's equal parts political drama to kind of I suppose psychological thriller and you know there's a tremendous amount of responsibility uh, when adapting historical events to narrative film um, especially ones steeped in in so much psychological trauma and suffering um, were you kind of conflicted on on how to present Tesca's case yeah that's why I worked for eight years on the script mm. and um because I think it's um, not an easy decision, um, but you can't tell um, a whole life in one movie. And so you have to make decisions. And um, I decided to tell uh, very authentically his, um, his, his story um, with the government um, that um, they, um, they asked him to join the secret service of the GDR and um, they offered him a professorship. And um, he went into the um, uh, into the secret service, and at one point he decided that he wanted to escape, but there was no way anymore. Mm. And it's really um, fight for survival it became for him. And um, so, um, but on the other hand, I wanted to yes, I wanted to tell this in a very authentical historical way, and also the trial everything what happened in trial mm. and also the um, the time he um, he he was in prison and um, and the uh, way they executed him and um, but other parts of the movie um, they were fiction parts it's a fiction movie um, mm. in general but um, there were some parts um, I have to make up and made up and uh, that's why I named the main character not Werner Teske I named him Franz to make uh, that very clear from the very beginning of the movie that you are not sitting in a documentary mm. but everything I wanted to be very authentically and everything had um, everything what happened there um, is part of the story of the GDR I talked to a lot of time witnesses to a lot of former prisoners about this and so um it's nothing from its fantasy world. Mm. And and just on that, um, I know that something really ra- remarkable about your film is that you were able to shoot at um, a lot of the original locations from the real-life case, um, like the former Ministry um, for State Security as well as the Remand Prison, um, which have amazingly been very well preserved. Um, was it quite surreal shooting a film in these spaces, I've visited um, kind of similar sites um, and found it a really di- distressing experience. Um, and I just wondered, did you have, yeah, did you have any issues with access? Um, not really, because um, part of these buildings are um, open to the public, but uh, we had issues with the parts who. Um, who aren't open to the public mm. and um, but for me it was very important to shoot there even in these um, parts which, which are not open to the public because um, I had to shoot this movie in only 24 days oh, and wow. um, yes <laughs> <laughs> that's <laughs> impressive the movie is um, really um, expensive uh, mm. to shoot and so um, a lot of money we had to give to um, to all the historical staff and um, so uh, I wanted to create a really intense atmosphere in these historical places and mm. um, with the actors and with the whole team of the movie. Mm. And so it was really important for me. So um, 
yes, we ask uh, all these places, also a sailing club from the former GDR and also the university. And the very first scene of the movie is also shooted in a wagon where prisoners are, um, are, are dr uh, were driven. Um, um, and so this all um, was very intense because I talked mm. to the actors and the team before shooting a lot about what happened inside these places. And um, yes, and for me, it was really important that we all go together inside these places yeah. to create a really concentrated and silent atmosphere and, um, and go um, deep inside the past, uh, as deep as possible from the current times. And then just in some scenes, we just um, shoot it one take. Um, but hopefully an intense take. Yeah, uh, no, it definitely comes across in the film. Um, for listeners who have just uh, tuned in, uh, we're currently speaking with the director and writer uh, Francisca Stunkel about her latest film, The Last Execution, which is, is one of the many films um, that is featured in the upcoming German Film Festival. Um, Francisca, alongside your film work, um, you're also a photo artist yes. and you've travelled through Asia, Africa, Europe and America with your work. Um, your photography has been described as charged with the utmost complexity and also as a visualisation of the similarities and contrasts that exist in our multifaceted networked world. Photography and, and cinema, you know, they share many similarities. Um, how do you think each creative practice kind of informs the other or, or do you keep them, sort of, do you treat them as separate endeavours? Uh, I'm not working on this uh, really the same topics, um, but um, there are influences. And um, for example, in my movie, um, there are some scenes um, where nobody is even speaking a word, um, mm. total silent scenes in a way, but hopefully they are telling a lot. And um, because I think you don't always have to uh, use words for expressing something. And um, so that comes from photography in a way. Mm. And on the other hand, um, some um, frames and some um, scenes in uh, my movie, you can see for a very long time close um, directly into the face of the actor. Um, mm. I had the opportunity to work with Lars Eidinger, as you mentioned before, and he's a very famous um, actor in Germany, not only famous for me, it was most, more interesting that he's a very talented and very intense actor. Mm. And, uh, so to look him in the face and to experience step by step what's behind um, the feeling you were aware of for the first second and to go deeper and deeper into his psychological way of thinking. Um, that also comes from photography mm. to just have this one picture and to look at it um, for a very long time. Mm. So, um, and yes, and I traveled a lot, as you mentioned before, um, during the last 12 years for my photographic series um, coexist. Mm. And um, Yes, and traveling always alone um, through the world, I recognized different political systems, cultures, and, mm. and about the power of that and people who are influenced by, um, by political system and cultures. And uh, so this movie is also about decisions you are making and that you are making them because you are influenced um, from your childhood on. Yeah. Um, 
and um, yes, and so the photography in a way and the way I'm photograph, uh, I'm doing photography is influencing a lot the stuff I'm making from, uh, for the cinema. Yeah, absolutely. And I love the fact that, as you were saying before, the very inspiration for the last execution came from that photograph um, that you had. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's yeah, really... In a way, yes, it's mm. also. <laughs> and um, while traveling, I recognized um, these rigid political systems like um, autocratic political systems or dicta dictatorships. And so um, I tried to make a movie which tells um, a lot about the past, about mm. the special GDR system, but some of the methods they are using to put pressure on people, um, they are nearly um, the same methods um, which are used in the current times as well. And so um, that was very important for me that you don't look on this movie and say, yes, it's from the past and it's like a history book. Um, so that we are all aware that, um, um, that we are living in a world um, which has to face that um, there are growing um, rigid political systems. Yeah, absolutely. I think there has a your film definitely has a lot of resonance with what's currently happening. Um, so the German Film Festival, it's going to be running from the 24th of May to the 22nd of June in Sydney, Melbourne, Adelaide, Perth, Canberra, Brisbane and Byron Bay. So it's a pretty hectic schedule. Um, Francisca, you're currently on the festival circuit for your film, The Last Execution. But are there other projects in the pip pipeline? I'm still working um, on my ongoing photographic series, Coexist. Um, yeah. And um, yes, and I'm working on a new script Ah. It also deals with a political theme, and um, so it's um, both sides of my work are, um, are growing. Yeah, oh, that's fantastic to hear. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show, so thank you so much for, for joining us on Primal Screen. Thank you so much for having me, and um, yes, and I'm really looking forward to the film festival because I travelled uh, yesterday, I flew in from Germany, oh, and wow. it was a 35-hour uh, trip to get here. <laughs> wow! <laughs> I'm very happy, I'm very glad to be here because uh, I like to talk to the people in the audience because after the pandemic, it's now so uh, wonderful that we can meet again and it's so necessary to talk to each other each other directly because I traveled with the movie um, to East Germany as well and mm. um, I, I recognize how important cinema is as a place for communication and for getting closer to each other and try to understand the, ex um, the um, experiences people had. Absolutely. So thanks a lot for having me on the show and thanks. Uh, I'm very glad to be here at the festival. Yeah, and I can't agree more with you with the importance of film festivals to be able to have those conversations. And, yeah, it is really important to note that your film, The Last Execution, is going to be screening this Thursday as part of the German Film Festival and it's going to be followed by a QA. and a um, So please head to germanfilmfestival.com.au for the full schedule and to buy your tickets. Uh, you're listening to Primal Screen on Triple with Flick Ford and my special guest reviewers for tonight, Will Cox and Stewie Richards. Uh, so earlier tonight, uh, we spoke with the director and writer of The Last Execution, Francisca Stunkel, and her film is screening this Thursday as part of the German Film Festival and the screening is going to be followed by a Q&A. So for tickets and for full festival, in 
festival program. Too many Fs in that one. Please head to the germanfilmfestival.com.au. So on tonight's show, we're doing a bit of a, uh, a roundup on what Stewie and Will have been watching this week because uh, I needed some hot recommendations. So Stewie, let's start with you. What's caught your attention this week? Uh, I'm watching a few things at the moment. Uh, I have started watching Hacks, oh. which is currently uh, streaming on streaming on Stan. Was season that Hacks? Two. Sorry, Hacks. Yes. yes, the new season of Hacks. The new season of Hacks. Yeah, yeah. and um, it's a really tricky show for me because I find uh, the chemistry between the two lead actors, Jean Smart as Deborah Vance, and Hannah Einbinder as Ava. Um, incredible. The chemistry between them is fantastic. But there are several kind of B plots that run through all the episodes of the peripheral characters, which I really struggle with because they're not as well written. Mm. And the chemistry between those characters aren't as great. So I find that like 70% of the show I'm really loving and then 30% I'm kind of waiting for those scenes to hurry up yep. so we can get back to the central two. <laughs> For a, uh, for a complete, uh, I actually haven't heard of this series. I know because I've been living under a rock. But um, yeah. what what's the basic premise of Hacks? So Hacks uh, follows the Gene Smart as Deborah Vance, who is like a Joan Rivers style right. that's insult comic. Um, <laughs> and season one starts with her uh, with this residency in Las Vegas <laughs> and her agent um, gets this struggling up-and-coming uh, comic Ava, played by Hannah Einbinder, um, who has been cancelled on Twitter for some offensive jokes, uh, to work with uh, Deborah Vance. And Deborah Vance doesn't want to work with her, but her residency is about to be cancelled, so she's forced to. And it's these two generations of comics oh, that's forced a... to work with each other. It's great. That actually it's said, really, yeah, really good. I'm going to add that to my list. So that's Hacks. And what's that streaming on? Uh, Stan. Stan. Okay, awesome. All right, what um, else? Oh, um, sorry. And then a- in a completely non-primal <laughs> screen, uh, I, I guess, kind of territory. I'm hey, really... we, we cover everything. <laughs> wait for it, though. All right, I'm bracing myself. There is some great reality television happening at the moment. Okay, um, Stewie, what do you got? <laughs> season 42 of Survivor. Oh. Um, which is on Nine Go. Um, is, okay, this is controversial. One of the best seasons they've ever done. Um, is there a the, theme this for this one? Like, you know how they always have, like, bronze yeah. versus beauty? Is that them? There's no theme. Okay, it's, no theme. Um, it's just, new, uh, like, 18 new cast members who are all obsessed with the show um, and there's a diverse cast as well and um, a lot of kind of identity politics comes into it. And okay. It's, it's really, really good. Okay. Um, and as someone who has loathed the Australian version. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. very refreshing to have like good reality television. Yeah. Do they still um, make the Australian version? I think they do. I think I they do. caught this, part of it. Oh, yeah, this, yeah. The Australian version, um, you know, I could go all night about how <laughs> bad it is. Um, but it's completely different. It is very physical. And so they just cast predominantly kind of ex-athletes. Yeah. Um, and it's just a competition at how tough you are rather mm. than anything intelligent. Um, and I found the latest Australian season of Survivor to be particularly misogynistic mm. um, and I had to stop watching it. It was so 
disgusting. Yeah, um, that's fair. Yeah. That's totally yeah. fair. Um, and also on reality television, uh, Drag Race All Stars nice. has just dropped. Actually, so- former host Paul Anthony Nelson and former host of Drag Race. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's a primal screen. Uh, but he wishes. Um, <laughs> and uh, Sally Christie, who everyone yeah. knows, both massive uh, Drag Race fans. Uh, I'm, I, I do love it. I just haven't been able to make my way through all the seasons, so I'm a bit of a, yeah. a noob to it. Yeah. So they've got, um, I think, eight or nine ex-contestants who have won previous seasons coming back. So it was like the Drag Race Olympics. Yeah. Um, and uh, episode two, you had like the Snatch Game where they impersonate um, uh, celebrities. And Jinx Monsoon does a wonderful impersonation of Judy Garland. Oh, um, amazing. And, and it's one of the funniest things I've seen in quite I, some time. I do love that about Drag Race where they have so many amazing pop culture references. And I know that's yeah. a massive part of drag. And we've got all these yeah. amazing queer icons in cinema like Judy Garland. Mm, yeah. um, I'm also a mu- massive musical fan. So, like, I, I feel like they the often a lot of the costuming and stuff like that tends towards that. So yeah. yeah, I'm a massive fan. I've just got to like maybe next time I'm about to say next time I get COVID, hopefully I don't get COVID again. But next time I get sick, <laughs> maybe I'll just sit down and properly make my way through it all. Because yeah, I love it when the contestants come yeah. back from other series and it's nice mm-hmm. to have that that knowledge. So yeah, great yeah. pick. And what's that currently streaming on? Stan. Stan, of um, course. Yeah. yeah. Okay. A lot of the best queer content is on Stan, I would say. Yeah. Um, That's a, interesting. I'm I'm going to be talking to some people in a few weeks about streaming platforms, so I might um, yeah. bring that up because that's a really interesting thing to see, the curation that goes into streaming platforms yeah. and especially with queer audiences, queer content. Yeah. I think it's because Netflix has more of a focus on the big mainstream stuff, mm. so subcultures. And yeah. also if that we I... could call queer identity a subculture, gets gets pushed to. I mean, Stan's also got a great deal with Palace, I think, because yeah. they have mm. a lot of, of smaller films end up on there. I've noticed that. It's interesting. I'd love to get some stats on it because, um, yeah, it's an interesting thing of whether things get pushed to the side or just don't get, don't get um, you know, yeah. enough attention because they're like, oh, no one's be interested in that. But mm. there's, of course, lots of really, yeah, subcultural styles and, and different things. That they yeah. could explore. Um, what else have you got, Stewie? Um, and um, I, in my uh, professional life as an academic, um, <laughs> I am uh, currently writing a book on Agatha Christie um, uh, screen adaptations. Wonderful! That fills me with so much joy, yeah. Stewie. <laughs> it's so niche and nerdy. Yeah. Um, but I've been rewatching a lot of the adaptations of the book, and then there were none. No. Uh, which is a bit survivorish, where there's ten characters on an island, and one by one they get killed off. Wow, um, it's a bit like Survivor. It's a bit like Survivor, <laughs> um, and just like watching all of the different national adaptations of it. So mm. there's a Bollywood version where there's literal singing and dancing <laughs> in between the murder. Um, and that always happens. There's a really great morose Russian version from the 80s. Mm. Um, so, yeah, that's what I've been watching a lot lately. What, awesome. what is it about Christie <clears throat> that um, means that all these different cultures across the world and languages can, can adapt it so seamlessly? Well, I, I think because the plots themselves are quite bare bone. Mm. Um, I mean, with a lot of her really great novels or short stories, uh, usually there's some very kind of basic characters and a few key plot moments that are part of the puzzle 
Um, and because of that kind of bare bones nature to a lot of her scripts or, you know, stories, um, they're very easily translatable yeah. to, other, to other national that, contexts. That's an interesting way. Yeah, I like how you mm. phrase that because I always sort of, um, I remember powering through her books as a little kid and just like, sort of yeah there's a real formula to that and I think that you also see that in when you have formula cinema we see uh, adaptations like uh, you know the exact same film being made somewhere else because they're like oh yeah that story works here Mm -hmm. change a few um, specificities and Mm. (laughs) it's good to go and because yeah Yeah. and it's the same thing of where sequels you know it's a reliable thing Agatha, Agatha Christie is a known quantity and they know that they can sell seats yeah um, the, the series though, that, um, I yes. really <laughs> would love to hear, cause you got me onto this series. So I want to, yeah. I want to do a deep dive on this. And as soon as you mentioned, it, I hadn't heard of it. I have been living under a rock, but I did go and watch, uh, basically all of it in one day. This is the HBO miniseries, The Staircase. Uh, tell yes. us about this one, Stewie. So it is uh, created by Antonio Campos and it's a true crime drama uh, series which is based on the really famous uh, Jean-Xavier de l'Estrade's 2004 docuseries of the same name. Um, So this follows Michael Peterson, played by Colin Firth, who is convicted of murdering his second wife, Kathleen, played by the wonderful Tony Collette, Uh, who is found dead at the bottom of the family staircase. Uh, The series explores the changing family dynamics of his five children. Um, And they've got a really complicated family tree. Yeah. Um, Yeah. (laughs) I I, needed to take a second to be like, I think it was in one of the episodes, I was like, wait, what? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I had to Google how (laughs) they're all connected. It's really Mm. quite complicated. Mm. Um, And we also follow Kathleen's sisters and the production team of that documentary mm. series. Um, and there are some really wonderful um, scenes, which includes Juliette Binoche. Uh, yeah, um, yeah. Debating the nature of editing and truth and I, argument. I was I was Incredible. really blown away by that because there's parts of this that do seem a bit, um, oh, they're a little bit pulpy sometimes because you've got mm. that element of, of the true crime, what hap- what, you know, trying to work it out. But though, then it, it really elevates it to something else in those scenes. And I thought that was remarkable. I, yeah. I, I thought, that, and it's, so it's set over three different time periods, which is yes. a really curious design. Mm. Um, so it kind of gives you information on what you think is going to happen with the case because yep. of those three different time periods, which mm. is um, before Kathleen's death, um, straight after the trial, yep. and then quite a few years in, in the future. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a it's very those, cinematic. You mentioned yeah. before Colin Firth, Tony Collette, Juliette Binoche, bloody all star cast. Uh, um, Michael Stuhlberg, <laughs> yes, uh, who's from and um, call me by your name. Um, um, isn't Parker, it Schwarzenegger's son? Schwarzenegger's <laughs> son. Thank you. Mm. Parker yeah. Posey plays yeah. the assistant prosecutor Freda Black, who steals every scene she's in, which is hard when the when the show is oh, it's loaded. Stars, yeah. Well, this is incredible. This is an interesting discussion because I watched the first episode and I was not sold at all. Oh, I, really? I just couldn't. Really? I honestly, off the first episode, I couldn't. I couldn't really see what differentiates this from the rest of the 
Netflix true crime landfill. Nah, um, stick with it, Will. Honestly, yeah. like okay, it's one I of will. those things where I – the reason I kept watching, A, because I, I bloody love Tony Collette, I will just watch anything she's in, but I, I was sort of more intrigued by like, oh, I wonder what the details of the case are. It yeah. wasn't so much – the first episode, like you, I reckon push past it. Okay, good. By the fifth – I'm up to number five and yep. – um, it really changes because it brings in this other element. And actually, I know that the documentarians who were involved with the original have voiced um, upset about this TV series. Okay. Because it implicates them. Like, and it, it comes back to that, you know, that question that I, I posed to um, Francisco Stunkel about the responsibility of film mm. when you're dealing with real cases. And there is a responsibility, even mm. if you're a documentary maker. They as documentarians are throwing themselves into the reality. They're yeah. not just a fly on the and wall. It, and it will have an impact. Yeah. And if you're then putting that out as a as a TV series, yeah. And I think that's what makes it really interesting. And like you were saying, Stewie, that wonderful monologue, by, it turns into a bit of a monologue, yeah. by Juliette Binoche's character. I loved yeah. that. And I think the fact they've got these cinematic actor, or cinema actors in this role, and we've seen that through a lot of prestige television. So it's nothing new to see mm. those kind of um, high-level actors. But I just love the intertextuality of the actors that have selected. Colin Firth, especially in the lead, it's such a juicy role for him and it gets yeah. more complicated as the series goes on. Mm. I can't imagine anyone who would be as perfect as him in this role. Yeah. And Tony Collette is really good in this, particularly with a lot of the flashbacks as we explore yeah. her relationships with all of her family members mm. and one thing that I think is really powerful in this is and this is not a spoiler um, but it plays out the two different um, uh, sort of scenarios yes. of how she died yes and quite graphically really graphic <laughs> really uncomfortable mm. I remember like turning to my partner afterwards being like can we pause it and have a moment? Um, <laughs> because what it, because what it does is it implicates us as yes, well it for does. being obsessed with these true crime series. Yeah. Because at heart of it, it's entertainment out of violent death. Yes, it really Real is violent death. Which, um, and I think it's really important that that violence is sort of elevated. Yeah, it, um, in those scenes. yeah, and I, it does make us. And I think true crime and case um, films or TV series always bring this out, but it makes us the jury. And, yeah, yeah, it's really fascinating. I actually have a clip of The Staircase because we've been talking about it, but I forgot to play the clip. Um, So here is the clip now. I'd like to make a toast to so many better days ahead. Every day is going to be an adventure. So always stop and think, this is one of the happiest days of my life. To the Petersons. To us. So you get a bit of a taster there of um, the intensity. The intensity. <laughs> yes. Um, so the staircase, it's currently available to stream on did you say binge and what else was it on, Stewie? Foxtel. Ah, oh, Foxtel. Okay. Yeah. So um, yeah, you can check it out um, on one of those. I'd highly recommend that you uh. that you check it out. Um, I really yeah, I just enjoyed it a whole lot. I think it's a real binge-worthy TV series. It is, yeah. <laughs> Which is, um, I don't know, always a Are good you thing. you being paid by binge to say that? I didn't even think of that. <laughs> <laughs> that's how tired I am. I'm like, that's not even a part. services are available. <laughs> there are. Actually, go to bloody the free ones. Go to your Beamer Film, your ABC, your SBS, <laughs> your Canopy, if you've got 
connections. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, um, yeah. So check it out, the staircase, uh, on whatever whatever way you can get it. Um, but it is playing on it's binge. On binge. You're listening to Primal Screen with Flick Ford and my guest reviewers for tonight, Stewie Richards and Will Cox. So tonight we're catching up on what you've both been watching over the last week. Um, earlier we heard some of Stewie's picks for what to check out. We had some um, Survivor, we had um, some Drag Race. Uh, what else was in there, Stewie? I forgot. Uh, Hacks. Hacks, of course, that's the yeah. one I didn't know. And yeah. The Staircase, oh, and which the staircase. We, we took a bit of a deeper dive into that one. Um, Will, what's what's caught your attention this week? Um, well, I too have been staying at home watching a lot of TV, <laughs> uh, which is not, I don't know, I don't typically watch a lot of TV series. So, uh, you know, it's been, it's been a bit different for me. But the first thing I'll just mention just briefly is uh, there's been an American version of Love on the Spectrum Oh. Have you seen Love on the Spectrum? I know of it. I have not yet watched it. I did put it That's on my, right, what do you call it, playlist? I yeah. I haven't seen the American one. I saw that there was one and it prompted me to go and watch the Australian mm. one for the first time. And I'm a bit late. I think it's been out for three years or something. But I, I don't usually um, tear up at TV or film, but mm. it, it just it's so pure and beautiful, yeah. really. It's just people yeah. who have struggled, you know, and they struggle with emotions. So uh, finding themselves and finding relationships. It's really so something. I It's about basically neurodiverse people looking for love, like on a dating show. Yeah, Is that yeah, the they're, setup? they're basically getting set up on dates, but it's not formatted to hell. Like uh, it's not a blind date or anything. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's, it's following them as they, you know, take different routes to meeting people and going on dates and, uh, and and tackling first dates that don't go well and working <laughs> very out relatable. To, yeah, you know, um, they don't have a pool that they push contestants into. Do you remember that um, dating <laughs> show? What man oh man? Man oh man! man. <laughs> Thank you. I couldn't remember the title. <laughs> yes, this week I've mainly been watching Man Oh Man on YouTube. That's going to be off air. What Will's how actually did, been watching? How did the, we get three people in the one room who remember Man Oh Man? I'll never know. <laughs> we all grew up in the eighties. So that um, that. So that's one. Yeah. Um, but one, another one that I've been obsessing over uh, more is is Barry. Oh yeah, by yeah. Uh, Bill Hader. Love um, him. I actually, Stewie, I know you're a massive fan of Bill Hader as well. <laughs> Am I? Oh, oh are you? He's fine. Oh, he maybe I've confused you with someone else. I might throw you under the bus here. Okay, I'm the great, big fan. <laughs> he's great in the ske- skeleton twins. That's what I was thinking about. I think yeah. we saw that in the same the week. Kristen Wiig. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I, That's great. I came across this in Hotel Quarantine last year. I just wanted to watch Bill Hader in something because yeah. he's very funny. Um, but this just exceeded my expectations. It's this perfect mix of comedy and drama. Uh, you haven't seen it. No, right? no. Okay, I'm adding so. all these to my list. That's why I got you both on. I was like, I need something to watch. Right. Tell me what to watch. Watch, watch <laughs> Barry. Barry, um, played by Bill Hader, is a skilled hitman at the end of his tether when his boss sends him on a job in Los Angeles where he's to carry out a hit on the lover of the wife of a Chechen crime lord. And he gets a little sidetracked and ends up joining his target's acting class. <laughs> Uh, he's determined to give up professional killing for good and become an actor. Um, and all that stands in his way is the Chechen mafia, the Bolivian mafia, the police, uh, his old boss and his total lack of acting talent. It's very, <laughs> very funny. Yeah. And just the, um, the idea of a total outsider who's, uh, you know, an emotionless outsider essentially mm. um, falling into this 
extremely self-involved world of LA acting classes is is very very. Funny. I'm kind of getting gross point blank vibes from it. Is it that kind of tone or it's it's kind of it's kind of Breaking Bad in a way, ah, but in okay. reverse, I suppose. As a friend told me, described it last week, <laughs> uh, as this guy trying to go straight, but um, it doesn't lean too heavily on the drama. It's 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 got dramatic moments. I mean, especially with Barry's uh, past in the um, in de- deployed in Afghanistan as a mm. as a marine. Um, he's just trying to grapple with uh, living an emotional life of, of yeah. a good person. And it's yeah. just – it's extremely funny. It's got this great uh, ensemble cast um, with Stephen Root, who's in everything. Oh. Uh, he, <laughs> he's yeah. in, he's in like, Office Space. Oh, he, yeah, that's where I know him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's he, like the name is familiar, <laughs> but it wasn't immediate. He turns up. He just turns up in everything. Yeah. He turns up in a Coen Brothers film recently, that Netflix one that they made a couple of years ago that was very good. He just turns up. He's a great yeah. character actor. Yeah. Henry Winkler. Um, oh, yeah. As a, yeah. Um, as a self-absorbed acting teacher. <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> And Anthony Carrigan is uh, someone I've never seen before. I think he's in Gotham, apparently. Oh. Um, but he is th- this amazing character in this. He's a polite, extremely camp gangster called Noho Hank, who just treats everything more like a like a TED talk seminar or something. <laughs> um, yeah. uh, and it's it's yeah. And 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 Bill Hader's character is a sort of no shit kind of guy yeah. who's having to grapple with. Anyway, what is, what's Barry playing on? What's it streaming on? It's that's on binge as well. Oh my god, bloody binge fest! You yeah, know? <laughs> it's an HBO show. Yeah, um, and it's half hour episodes, eight episodes a season. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't know. I think I've said this before in the show. I don't like it when TV shows outstay their welcome. Yeah, so I yeah. think with four episodes a season, I'm really, I'm into that. And that's manageable. Like, I feel like I like to get to the end of a series. I've, de- I definitely have given up on series before and got to like right up into the end of me. Like, I just don't have time. And it, it t- yeah. yeah, but um, no, I'll check that out. That's Sounds good. Or a series finishes and you think, what have I just done with 60 hours of oh my, my life? Oh, my God. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Let's not get too bleak. <laughs> it's the start of the week. I can't even think about the number of shows where I'm like, I know this is bad, yeah. but I can't stop watching. Well, there's a, there's a, there's a prequel to Game of Thrones coming up. <laughs> uh, While well, we're not talking about Game of Thrones. We're I'm not sorry, Stewie. Game of Thrones. Uh, <laughs> that's, what a waste. <laughs> that's for another um, show. <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay. Okay. Um, well, I've also been watching um, some older sort of 70s comedies and dramas and one that really stood out to me was Heaven Can Wait. Yes. Uh, okay. Which now is you're talking my language. Directed by Warren Beatty. I don't know if I'm stretching the format of this, you know, name-checking something that's I think 40, 40 years or 45 you, years old. If you only watched it this week, it's still within our theme. Well, I'm pretty <laughs> sure I watched it when I was about seven years old and I was trying to work out what it was and I think it's this. So it's it's full of it's kind of forgotten I feel mm. and it's full of great actors who don't get name checked much these days. Charles mm. Grodin, um, star of a lot of great comedies like Elaine May's Heartbreak Kid, and she's in Midnight. He's in Midnight Run. We could do a whole grow a show, whole show about Charles Grodin. He's so, Grodin Showdown. Grodin Showdown. He's so underrated. Um, his character in this is distractingly called Tony Abbott, um, <laughs> which is another story. But yeah. <laughs> Heaven Can Wait is about Warren Beatty, who plays a um, a, a American football player who uh, dies in an accident. This isn't a spoiler. This is the beginning. Yeah. 
uh, and um, says to his guardian angel, I'm not really done yet, this is a mistake, and they agree, actually, we did kind of cock up here. Is that um, the same plot as Michael? <laughs> Michael? <laughs> you know that John Travolta film? <laughs> it's not. I'm just being, I'm being facetious. It sorry. is actually the same plot. As, it's been, this is another one of those films that's been made three or four times. Um, it was made in the 40s and then again in the 70s, and then there's a version with Chris Rock, which oh. looks pretty bad, but... Um, <laughs> it's the same film again and again. <laughs> we do a trilogy. Uh, the Chris Rock one's called Down to Earth. But oh, um, right. yeah, I remember that actually. <laughs> so anyway, he's sent back to uh, in another person's. He's sent back this this burly football player um, in the body of an, of a of a billionaire oil magnate, I think, mm. um, to uh, fix up his romantic life and and become a quarterback. <laughs> uh, and it's very strange and it's very funny. And Beatty is so. Um, eccentric and charismatic. And he it's... Of, yeah, he, oh, he often is, I feel like. Yeah. He's, a, yeah. Yeah. he's often forgotten as well, like you said before. Yeah. Well, he yeah. hasn't done much in the last few decades mm. since Dick Tracy, really. <laughs> what is, um, what's Heaven Can Wait? What's it available on? That's on, um, oh, that's on iTunes. Yeah, oh, you have awesome. to pay for okay. it. Yeah. yeah. You yeah. sometimes cool. have to do that. <laughs> sometimes you've got to pay. But, but um... it's, it's an Elaine May script. Oh, wow. Who is... She's not in it. She didn't direct it, but she wrote it. Um, and she's just—I f- I feel like her voice is all over mm. it. It's so good. It's I'm sure that we've done a. I'm sure that we've done an Elaine May season at Cinematheque. Think that there was one. Yeah, yeah. And I think that might have been Maybe. how I got onto it. Is yeah. a few years ago now. Yeah, it was. I can't remember exactly, but you can go back through on and, Melbourne Cinematheque. But there's stuff before. in there like <laughs> Heartbreak Kid. I don't mm. know where you can find Heartbreak Kid. That's the thing, and I, I suppose that's why. Um, curation and, and being able to show these s- films on the big screen like at Melbourne Cinematheque or Astor Theatre also has a wonderful selection yeah. of retro films because sometimes it's really hard to track them down. But I think that there are platforms that are getting really good with seeking out um, other ones. Anyway, sorry, I feel like I'm chewing up. With those. I want to hear what you what else you've been watching. <laughs> I know there's a, a film that I have been meaning to watch for a long time and I was very excited about when it came out because I'm a huge fan of this director. Um, can you tell us about Celine Sharma's uh, Petite Maman? Petite Maman, yeah, the new Celine Sharma film, which I think is again being underserved and perhaps overlooked a little for some reason. Well, it came out. It came out a little while ago, didn't it? it? I think a week it came or two out ago. Myth initially. Okay, maybe? yes, I think you're correct. Yeah, and then, Myth, and and then but it the came general out, release, general was... release, one or two weeks ago. Yeah, but I really yeah. haven't heard many people talking about it. Which see, I have, but I think that. Um, yeah, for for what I've heard about it, everyone's just like, please, more people watch this. Yeah. What's what's the premise? Right. Well, um, it's pretty simple. I'm almost reluctant to say anything about the plot because it's that That's simple. That's okay. But you can you can talk around it if you want. I will. You know what? I'm <laughs> going to spoil it for people. It's very intriguing. So, uh, a child, uh, Nellie, played by Josephine Sands. She's about ten or eleven years old. I'm bad at picking kids' ages. Um, and her mother, played by Nina Maurice, a grieving the death of their grandmother slash mother, respectively. Uh, and they go to her old house to clear it out. When the mother abruptly leaves, uh, Nellie is left with her father uh, and she plays in a nearby forest where her mother used to play as a girl and she meets another girl with the same name as her mother who looks exactly like Nellie does. Mm. In, it lives in an identical house mm. uh, played oh. by uh, Josephine Sands' twin, Gabrielle Sands. Oh, I actually, um, I'm remem- remembering the trailer to this and I was, <laughs> that's why I was obsessed with it. I love that duality, the, the whole um, yeah. persona, 
narrative. Yeah, it's yeah. just such a beautiful little piece. Mm. Uh, it has that fable-like quality, you mm. know, that this sort of story could be adapted into telling any number of stories. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it's, she made Portrait of a Lady on I Fire. I was going to say, was that is, film. yeah, what the, the film that most people will be familiar with. And, and um, uh, earlier films like Tomboy and, yeah. and Girlhood. Yeah. Water Lilies. Water Lilies, yeah. yeah. She's had an amazing career. I think Portrait of a Lady on Fire made such an impact on a lot of people I know. And it's truly beautiful if you haven't seen it. I don't know anyone who hasn't got something out of it. But, mm. but um, you know, then she's turned to this very small contained story about motherhood. Yeah, it's very different. Yeah. Yeah, when it's did very you? Different. You saw You saw the film Today's? Stewie. Yes. Yeah, what yes. are your thoughts? Um, I I did really like it. Um, I find it to be a very quiet, um, very quiet. small film. You know, like it's just this mm-hmm. little few moments um, and with Portrait of a Lady of on Fire, it's like every moment is infused with such yeah. intensity yeah. that this is this complete opposite where it's very quiet and slow and, and I think some people might struggle with that. Mm-hmm. I would say it's more like um, her earlier films like Tomboy, yeah, uh, yeah, where it's just about these kids playing and these little kind of small moments which are actually infused with sort of big feelings of like yeah. it is not being not like feeling like because the girl feels like she doesn't didn't say goodbye to her grandma hmm. well enough, mm. um, and it, so it's them playing but how they navigate that and the, the use of no music until the end um, is really powerful and. Yeah, Sienna gets really good performances out of children. That's yeah, and that's really yeah. quite a task. I mean, there's that old adage: don't work with children or animals. <laughs> but um, I think it's really remarkable. I mean, it's a really short film. I think it goes for what an hour and a it's, bit. It's Seventy-two that, minutes. Yeah, yeah. That's so nothing. it's 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 um very very short mm. worth mentioning. But it it really it has no fat, no extraneous subplots, mm. very few characters. Um, and it just establishes things quickly and unfussily and, and gives you the, only the information you need, I feel. And there's a lot of room left in there. Yeah. <clears throat> to but give – oh, sorry, Will, I didn't mean to cut you off there. Continue. Oh, I was just going to say about comparing it to Portrait of a Lady on Fire because that, um, as I said, left, you know, had quite an impact. That was very big, I felt, and expansive mm. and really sending ripples oh, so, out. Oh, so – yeah, I mean, that yeah. was such a different – as a yeah. But this is very so contained on. and introspective mm. and small. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of the opposite sort of film. And I think that's probably impacting the way it, it's being discussed is it's yeah. just like, well, don't talk about it. You just and have to look at it. Well, some, sometimes yeah. those films, they're films that people won't select to watch at the cinema but mm. may may find an audience, say, when it gets streaming on, you know, movie or something or may, may find it like later on if it's going to get featured as part of a spotlight at Melbourne Cinematheque like I mentioned yeah. before. You know, like that sometimes is one of those films sometimes – it sounds like one of those films, sorry, where – takes a while for people to get around it because you know you think oh that's not my kind of film or that's you know I don't want to watch a kid about sort of movie about kids <laughs> it feels it's it sounds very niche in some way but it's yeah. not it's very universal I mean it actually reminded me a lot of um as there's one Twilight Zone episode called Walking Distance about a man who returns to his hometown sort of stumbles on it um and finds that it's exactly the same as when he was a kid and then he realizes that he's essentially gone back in time mm. and it's the same mm. place mm. and he leaves, you know, the town mm. having left his own childhood behind. It's 
beautiful. Yeah. You know? oh, the trailer, honestly, seeing the trailer, and I think it was for when the MIF program got announced and I was like very mm. captivated by it. I just, it's hard to fit all of them in, so I did miss mm. it. Here yeah. is a, um, a very short clip of Petite Mama because I think we'd all recommend that you check it out. It's very gentle at the start, very quiet, but I assure you there is sound coming. Is there? Uh, I hope so. <laughs> I, I can see it moving. <laughs> I just don't want to interrupt. Je croyais que j'entendais son cœur battre dans mon oreiller de plus en plus fort, alors que c'était le mien. Tu la vois? Non. Moi non plus. That was, of course, for our French listeners. Um, that wasn't the whole clip. I don't know what happened there. It's a, it's <laughs> a short film about well. French people whispering. <laughs> but I think we can hear a little the intonation between the, the mother and daughter in that scene. Um, anyway, I'm so aware of the fact that we've got to wrap up very soon. Um, but, uh, yeah, do check out Petit Maman, which is unfortunately just um, playing at select cinemas. You're listening to Primal Screen on Triple R. Triple R on FM, digital, online, on demand, podcasts and via the app. Oops, press the wrong button. So you've been listening to Primal Screen on Triple R with Flick Ford, uh, Stewie Richards and Will Cox. On tonight's show, we spoke with director and writer of The Last Execution, Franziska Stunkel, and her film is screening this Thursday as part of the German Film Festival, and the screening is going to be followed by a Q&A, so I recommend you check that out. So for tickets and for the full festival program, please head to germanfilmfestival.com.au. Um, we also got some some hot recommendations Um from both Will and Stewie about what to check out um, for – I can't – I'm not going to go through your whole list. Yeah. <laughs> but the main ones that we focused on uh, were um, The Staircase, which is a HBO miniseries, and um, the one we were just mentioning before, which was Petite Maman by Celine Sciamma, um, which is playing now at the cinemas. At the cinemas. I made it sound like at a general. The <laughs> the picture oh. At the picture house near you. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Primal Screen, a weekly radio show airing Monday evenings on Triple R. Hope you've enjoyed the podcast version and feel free to get in touch via the Primal Screen Facebook page or the Triple R website. 